This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Welcome to another episode of the Asian Madness Podcast. The year is soon coming to an end, and hopefully we're all doing well, or at least okay. I know many of us have had our struggles during the pandemic, and it sucks. I do hope that many of you can still find a good reason to be happy, or at least something that can help you get through the day. So, the holidays are slowly creeping upon us, and while I wanted to end this year on a somewhat happier note, Let's be real, most of these episodes aren't going to have happy endings. Instead of picking a murder case, though, I've decided to do one that's more about culture. Again, not a happy culture, but definitely not gory or anything like that. I came across a post about this a while ago, and figured it would be a nice break from the usual deaths that I cover. This phenomenon is something quite unique to Japan, but of course, It also occurs in other countries and cultures as well. But we all know that Japan's culture can be extremely different and unique. Whether it's the history, its work culture, or the way people interact. This is the phenomenon known as johatsu, or evaporation. Let's begin. The Japanese term johatsu literally means to evaporate. In short, It's basically used to describe people living in undesirable situations who then choose to disappear. This obviously is not a uniquely Japanese thing, but I will mostly be focusing on the situation in Japan. Yes, it happens in other countries like in the US, the UK, Germany, and basically anywhere else, but the cultural aspects in Japan is often what makes something universal very different. We do hear of stories where people simply vanish and end up elsewhere trying to start a new life. Maybe they want to leave their spouse for their lover, but the spouse refuses to divorce. Or they want to leave a monotonous life that has nothing new to offer. Then there are those who vanish, hoping the authorities think they died somewhere, and then their family can go on and claim some life insurance money years later. Death in absentia. But what is it about Japan that makes this human evaporation so unique? A few factors to consider, the biggest one being shame. While you may think people in terrible situations vanish only to try to get back on their feet, this is not the case for many others. Some simply vanish and never get back on their feet, and they do so willingly. Please note that times are changing, and although the younger generation may be more open-minded, and accepting of non-traditional ways, fact is that the overall society is still quite rigid and reserved in many ways. Don't take everything I say as a blanket statement. Japanese society tends to follow a very strict life timeline and objective. For example, you go to school, you study hard, 
You go to university. You study hard. You get a job. You work hard. You find someone nice, marry them. You have kids. And that's the rest of your life. I know it sounds simple. And technically, that's the life many people live. But we also must consider the cultural factors and the lack of individual choice. For anyone that has visited Japan or has seen Japanese movies and shows, people definitely seem very nice and friendly overall, but the happiness and cheerful demeanor can be quite superficial. I'm not saying they secretly hate everyone and pretend to be nice, but the surface friendliness is ingrained into society. I've mentioned this before, but Asian cultures in general, including Japan, tend to question the whole mental health thing. You're feeling sad? Just stop thinking about what makes you sad and think on the bright side. If you're a man and you feel sad, man the F up. Unhappy with your married life? Well, suck it up. They're your family now and you have to provide for them. Divorce is bad. Don't do it. You don't like your job? Who does? Work harder then. So you think you're depressed? Don't be dramatic. That's just a myth. You'll get over it. So on and so forth. Suicide in connection to mental health is probably quite prevalent in societies like Japan, but it is so difficult to talk about it because society has not yet come to accept it. Also, it's humiliating for people to admit to this, especially if you're a man. It's emasculating, shameful, and makes you look weak. If you can't pull it together, how do you expect your family to feel? Many Asian cultures like to put emphasis on the unit. Whether it's family, work, or community, it's rarely about yourself, the individual. Why should your emotions and personal issues inconvenience others? In a way, it can be good though, for example, wearing masks when you're sick. It's very common for a sick person to wear masks in public places because it's your illness. You should care about others and not pass it on to them. You would hate to be that person who got others sick and bedridden. The same goes for your feelings and emotions. Keep it to yourself. Handle it yourself. Don't drag others into it. The term johatsu has been around since the 60s, originally used to describe people who disappear due to unhappy marriages. It is also somewhat tied to the idea of freedom. Why not just get a divorce, you ask? Because that's majorly frowned upon and was quite difficult to do at the time. Also, It's embarrassing. People will think you weren't a good spouse or someone was cheating. It's also a hassle, all that paperwork, asset division, and whatnot. The term eventually began to be more inclusive, not just for those in unhappy marriages, but for anyone facing difficulties in life and wanted to seek a kind of freedom from their daily routine. Although the term started around the 60s, Johatsu itself really began after World War II. Japan lost the war, and you add in the whole shame culture, and suicide being the most noble way to wash your shame and failures away, you get lots of people taking their own lives or disappearing. Think of harikiri or seppuku, where samurais used to die by their own blades, stabbing their bellies, then turning it upwards to make sure that the wound is fatal. But since modern Japanese society no longer has wars and things like that, the root of one's shame has turned to other parts of life, such as work, marriage, and money. People also no longer have swords lying around, so they have to get creative. 
Some choose suicide, and others may choose to disappear. Something we must discuss is the school and work culture in Japan. Doing well in school and getting into a top university is seen as a direct correlation to a successful adult life. Most of us probably don't believe that, but for many Asians, it still is that way. We've all seen those memes about Asian parents disappointed their kids got an A minus and not an A plus on a test. Or Asian parents who like to compare their kids to someone else's kid that went to a better school and became a doctor. The study culture is very stressful, and so are the exams. Not doing well in exams can pretty much make someone feel like a failure, even though they're maybe only in their late teens and they still got a whole lifetime ahead of them. Suicide among students is not uncommon, and it just feels so sad because there is so much more to life than acing an exam or getting into a certain university. So let's say they get into a great university. Tokyo University or something, and then they finally graduate. What now? They have clearly been following the path to success, so now they're expected to go through lengthy interviews and find a job they will work at for the rest of their lives. In other words, quitting and changing jobs are generally frowned upon. It shows lack of commitment, little loyalty, and bad work attitude. This mentality is quite toxic. Because if the work environment is crappy, or if you're mistreated or paid unfairly, people still expect you to stick it out. People are not willing to leave their jobs out of fear of being judged, or their families being judged, or inconveniencing their coworkers. I mean, if you quit your job, your coworkers have to cover for you until they hire someone else. If you quit and try to find work in another company, they will also not be pleased that you have this so-called. Quitters mentality, and will then hesitate to hire you. The working environment can be very harsh in Japan, especially the more traditional style companies. Seniority is a real thing, where newcomers have to be extra careful and polite and willing to do anything. Workload can be very heavy, so spending twelve hours a day at the office isn't surprising. If you happen to clock in and clock out on time, some people might even judge you as a lazy worker. The term karoshi can be translated into working to death, and that's quite a sad and unfortunate situation. Let's just say some values are quite old-fashioned, and society overall is still very patriarchal. Men need to work a lot, bring home the money, and their wives have to stay home and take care of their children, make dinner, and run a bath for the husband when he gets home. Assuming you hate your life but you're not comfortable making loud changes. Such as telling your boss I quit, or telling your spouse I want a divorce. What then? Of course, there are definitely all sorts of reasons for someone to want to vanish from society. It can be an unhappy work situation, getting fired, general unemployment, a miserable family life, cheating, not doing well in school, or failing exams, or maybe you racked up a ton of debt that you cannot pay back, and sometimes. It's just feeling a lack of excitement to your life. You've heard of that one saying that says, "The opposite of love isn't hate; it's indifference." That indifference can cause some people to leave everything behind because there's nothing to love, nothing that they want to work for, nothing they feel tied to. 
It's definitely a stressful situation, especially if you grew up with the mentality that all of these things should make one feel ashamed. Of course, some people do end up choosing to end their lives, which is not surprising considering the fact that Japan has always had a high suicide rate. Although suicide can be seen as a way out, it also kind of goes against the whole society values. Think about it. If you do kill yourself, what happens afterwards? There are funeral fees, and depending on how and where you died, it can come with cleaning fees, and it may even traumatize others and your family. Your loved ones would have to spend money on you, even in death. Imagine wanting to die and still having to worry about inconveniencing others. Also, if someone had a lot of debt, it may automatically transfer to their next of kin, whether a spouse, a child, or a parent. That is seen as hella selfish. Big no no. Although it may sound more considerate to disappear than to kill oneself, there is actually a lot of stigma around those who have had a loved one disappear as well. Imagine how a spouse and a child may feel if their partner and parent disappeared on them, especially in more traditional societies. People will see them and be like, oh, they clearly weren't a happy family, why else would they run away and disappear? Poor them, how sad. Imagine how much it would hurt to have your loved one just vanish one day without a trace, leaving you full of self-doubt, wondering if you weren't good enough, if they got sick of you, or if you could have done something differently. Just the idea of putting your parents, your spouse, your family members through that whole not knowing what's going on situation, it's pretty messed up. They don't know if you were kidnapped, if you had an accident and died somewhere, if you went somewhere to kill yourself or if you simply need it to disappear. It sucks not knowing. So no, I don't consider this a more considerate method. Both suicide and disappearing can come with its own set of negative aspects, and while some people have considered dealing with the situation at hand, it takes a lot of courage to own up to your mistakes or your terrible situation. It's the shame that stops many people from dealing with the problem. Let's take a look at a few real-life examples. During the 1980s, a man and a woman met and fell in love. His name was Ichiro, and her name was Tomoko. They were doing well individually and as a unit. The marriage was good, they had a child together, and they took out a loan so they could open up a dumpling restaurant. Sounds like a very normal family transition. Then one day in the late 80s, the market crashed, and suddenly they lost their source of income and everything seemed to go to shit. They were a loving family, and they wanted to be together. But at the same time, they were worried about the situation, as they were heavily in debt. They could not really see a way out of this, and it may take decades to finally get back on their feet. So, they instead chose to pack up their personal belongings and sold whatever they could, and disappeared. Do you ever sign up for free random subscription trials? only to end up forgetting you signed up for it, and then had to pay a crap ton of money later on? How about those shady-ass websites that make it ultra-complicated to cancel your subscription? Well, in this day and age, it's super common for people to sign up to too many subscriptions, sometimes just for the hell of a free trial. Truebill can make your life a ton easier, and also, they can help you save money on unnecessary things. 
It's a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or you simply forgot about. Truebill has over 2 million users, and per average, one person can end up saving $720 US a year with this app. That's crazy. Imagine all that money going to waste because you forgot, or because the website or service is trying to make your life difficult. So if you're hoping to regain control of your subscriptions, look no further. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash madness. Go right now to Truebill.com slash madness. It could save you thousands a year. That's Truebill.com slash madness. So after listening to all these true crime podcasts, do you ever feel the desire to, like, solve mysteries and be a detective? Don't lie, I'm sure some of you have at least wondered what it would be like to work on a case. I sure have. But since it's not really possible to do that in real life, you can get that fantasy fulfilled in this game called June's Journey. It's a hidden object mystery game where you play as an amateur detective investigating mysteries. Basically, you get to pretend you're June Parker, a detective on an exciting adventure looking for clues, and even though solving crimes should be stressful, this actually is quite relaxing in many ways. I get tired from writing and researching my episodes from time to time, so mobile games like June's Journey is always a good break from the horrors of real life. I mean, it's relaxing, but I still get to use my brain a bit at the same time. This game has over 30 million downloads, so the numbers do speak for itself. If you're ready to awaken your inner detective, download June's Journey for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Definitely a great way to solve mysteries casually on your couch or on your commute. In another example, we have the Miyamoto family. Back in the early 2000s, they were a regular family parents and children. Miyamoto Naoki was their 24-year-old son, and as far as his family knew, there was nothing wrong in his life. He got up in the morning of March 3rd, 2002, and went to work as usual. Or at least, that's what everyone believed. Again, nothing was out of the ordinary. He didn't pack extra bags, he didn't act weird, no one suspected a thing. But when he failed to return home that night, people began to worry. Police were called, and they began a search into Naoki's disappearance. While everyone thought he had gone into work that day, it was later revealed that Naoki had already quit his job at the cleaning company he worked at. The police continued searching, and two days later, the Miyamoto family received a phone call stating that their son's belongings had been found inside a fairy cabin. What's the deal with this fairy? This was a ferry that traveled from Tokyo to Kyushu every evening, departing at 7.30pm. Naoki had purchased a ticket and had boarded, but what happened to him afterwards is a mystery. His clothes were neatly hanged inside his cabin, his personal belongings all placed in a bag on his bed in the cabin. When police questioned the people on board the ferry, no one recalled seeing Naoki. Did he jump into the water? Did he intentionally leave all his things behind? Did he get off at Kyushu? Or did he just leave his belongings there and maybe got off the ferry before he even left the port? 
It's been almost 20 years since he left everything behind. His family doesn't believe he killed himself as his body was never recovered, but instead believe that he could be amongst the thousands of others who chose to intentionally disappear. According to his parents and older brother, no one sensed he had any troubles, no relationship issues, no debts, no work troubles. He also didn't show any signs of depression. Could he have just felt lost, depressed, and chose to start life elsewhere? In another example, we have a man called Norihiro. He was around 40 when he chose to disappear. He was married, had a son, worked as an engineer, and probably made a decent living for his family. It was the general idea of a perfect family. What his family didn't know was that he had been cheating, but he didn't choose to leave and vanish because of his mistress. He had somehow lost his job, and that was what pushed him over the edge. He saw it as embarrassing, shameful, a disgrace. He didn't know how to face his family, his friends, or society. Instead of coming clean, he continued to get up every morning and pretend to go to work. He would drive to his old company, sit in the car, and just exist. He did this for about a week before he was exhausted. Keeping up with the lies was one thing, but having to go through this on your own, putting immense pressure on yourself and shaming yourself for this, that's probably enough to throw someone into a depressive state. But again, instead of gathering up the courage to tell his family the truth, he vanished. He didn't tell anyone what was happening, did not leave a note, and just simply left towards a place called Sanya. After being gone for 10 years, Norihiro told the story to a French journalist, Lena Mauger, who had been conducting a five-year research into this Johatsu situation with the help of her husband. It's been years since Norihiro left his life behind, and although it has crossed Norihiro's mind to return home, he knows he would never be able to. He has been living in the slums with no real job and no real responsibilities for far too long. He was in even worse shape than when he left his life behind. Quote, I don't want my family to see me in this state. Look at me. I look like nothing. I am nothing. If I die tomorrow, I don't want anyone to be able to recognize me. Unquote. At the time of this interview, he was living in a, quote, windowless room he secures with a padlock. He drinks and smokes too much and has resolved to live out the rest of his days practicing this most masochistic form of penance. Unquote. For example number four, we have Yuichi, who worked as a construction worker in the early 90s. He had a busy work life, but on top of that he had a sick mother and he was also her full-time caretaker. Eventually he was burnt out, not just physically, but also mentally and financially. He was bankrupt. He had no ways to pay for her medical bills and everything else. He felt immense shame for not being good enough, for not being able to take care of her. As you know, it's deeply ingrained in many Asian cultures to take care of your parents when they are old. They took care of you as a child, so you must return the favor as an adult. Once he decided this was too much for him, he took his mother to a hotel, rented a room for her, left her there, and disappeared. The shame he felt was too much, so much that he couldn't bear to be around her anymore. What happened to his mother, I have no idea. But hopefully hotel staff found her, and maybe she was settled into some type of assisted living facility. 
You could say that Yuichi is a coward for leaving everything behind, but I also want to believe that he tried his best. One final example that's a bit different is the disappearance of a young man, only 20 years old. He had supposedly left home to go take an exam, but was never seen again. The truth is that he never went to take the exam because he was terrified of failing it. He couldn't come to terms with the possibility of failing or not taking it at all, so he chose to leave and disappear. Luckily, or unluckily, he was eventually spotted and found by a detective. He described the young man as, quote, shaking from shame, which is quite extreme, and really goes to show how seriously people take exams and work in societies like Japan. According to very rough estimates, about 100,000 people disappear mysteriously every year. I say rough estimate because even authorities themselves believe that this number is underreported. Many people leave their hometowns to go to work in the city. They may have limited contact with family members and friends. And if these people one day disappear, it's likely that no one would bother to report them as missing persons. Their employers might think that, oh, this person got tired of city life, couldn't handle the pace and went back home. Their families back home could be thinking, oh, my child is probably busy trying to make a life for themselves. Maybe they'll reach out once they're ready. Police have stated that although a majority of missing persons have been found, it is so troubling to think that a lot of them are still missing. And instead of decreasing the total number of missing persons, the numbers for unsolved cases grow more and more each year. It's scary to think how underreported the numbers really are, which makes me wonder why this happens. Many times, though, adults who go missing are not seen as high-priority case. We see this in many countries as well. They're an adult. They're allowed to get up and leave. If there are no signs of foul play, then there's no reason to panic. In a sense, I do understand that, because certainly cases that involve murder or assault are more important and urgent. A group of people have started a group for these families with missing people, where they share information and help each other during these difficult times. The organization, called Support of Families of Missing People, is made up of detectives working pro bono and those who have been affected by vanishing people. It's a tough task looking for a missing person in Japan, as it's technically illegal to look into a person's ATM transactions and financial history. So if one person disappears willingly and they take money from their ATM, it may go unnoticed. Japanese citizens also have a unique 12-digit number assigned to them, sort of like the equivalent of a social security number in the U.S., but even these are not enough to help locate those that are missing. The privacy laws in Japan simply make locating missing people impossible. One good question is this. Where do these vanishing people go to once they decide to vanish? A very popular location is called Sanya, located in Tokyo. Technically speaking, you can't find this place on official sources because this neighborhood has been split and consolidated amongst other neighborhoods. But for the sake of this episode, I will continue to refer to this place as Sanya. What's the deal with this place then? This place has been around for hundreds of years, dating back to the Edo period, which lasted between 1603 to 1867. This has been labeled as the undesirable neighborhood, and some would refer to this place as the slums of Tokyo. 
Back in the olden days, lower-class laborers were forced to live in this area. People such as butchers, blacksmiths, etc. Although time went by and many of these professions no longer exist, the neighborhood is still closely associated to a place where the poor and lower-class people live in. At a glance, though, Sanya might seem like any other Tokyo neighborhood, but in reality, it has some of the cheapest housing and the culture is very distinct. A lot of those who reside in this area are migrants and overseas workers, people who look for menial and off-the-books work. They can hide here, make some money, afford a cheap room, and maybe make enough to feed themselves. A lot of the work provided here are run by the Yakuza, better known as the Japanese Mafia, so you bet the work provided won't be listed as an actual job. A lot of the residents are elderly, or some have been living there for years and years. Many left their old lives and have come here to find simple work and live out the rest of their lives. For them, it beats having to return home and face their fears and shame, and judgment from others. Sanya, though, has been undergoing changes in the recent years. While many of its long-term residents are elderly laborers, it has also attracted many young backpackers to stay in the neighborhood due to the cheap accommodations. Small businesses and factories are also on the rise. While the government is very interested in making major developmental changes to this neighborhood, it has always been met with resistance from long-time landowners. Some have had a hostile business running there for years and years, and having to agree to such a huge change can be very challenging. While some feel like this area needs to be cleaned up and restructured, there are others who are hoping to introduce this old part of Tokyo to the new incoming crowd. It's a small and helpful way to get the two sides to meet and mingle, and hopefully things will change for the better in the future without completely erasing what was once known as Sanya. Because Johatsu has become a popular but taboo phenomenon, a new business has surfaced tailored to these very specific needs. Yonigeya, which can be translated to running away at night, is a form of service that is now provided for those who are seeking to disappear. Crazy, right? Seriously, when there's a will, there's a way. Where there's demand, there's profit. Some people want to disappear but worry about life after Johatsu. They worry about being found, where they'll stay at, or how they'll stay alive. But don't worry, these services got your back. A company named Nighttime Movers was started by Hattori Sho, who actually had first-hand experience with disappearing. When he was young, his parents took him from their home in Kyoto in order to escape debts they couldn't repay. If anyone can start this kind of business, it's probably him. Before he got into the business, though, he was the owner of a legit moving company, so in a way, he already knew the ins and outs of how to make it work but he just needed to add in a lot of stealth. He apparently came up with this idea when he was approached by a woman looking for help. She asked him if he could help her not just move, but disappear completely. The woman explained that she was sick and tired of dealing with her husband's debts, and was looking for a way out, non-confrontational style. During the years he helped people disappear, he came to the realization that these people all needed help, and thus his services were not immoral. It was helpful. I guess I can't argue with that. 
Lots of people feel like they've run out of options, have nowhere to turn to, and if they couldn't figure something out, they may very well end up choosing to end their lives. Lena Mauger, the French journalist I mentioned earlier, spent about five years researching in Japan. How did she come across something like this? It all started when she was hanging out with a friend back in Paris, and her friend told her a weird story about a Japanese couple who deliberately disappeared, left no traces behind. There was no foul play, no ransom, nothing out of the ordinary. Why do people do this? It was shocking for her to find out that this was a thing in Japan, where people would one day disappear, leave no note behind, no indication of what's happening. She decided she wanted to look into the lives of these people who vanished, and also those who were affected by those who vanished. She also pointed out something quite interesting that, quote, to disappear in a country as modern, with all the techniques of tracing, with social networks, I thought that it was amazing. Unquote. It's true, Japan is definitely considered one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world, and yet, once someone decides to vanish, they can still do it. If this topic interests you and you would like to hear more about it, I recommend checking out their book, The Vanished The Evaporated People of Japan in Stories and Photographs. So there you have it the very odd but interesting phenomenon known as johatsu, or the evaporating people. Would you ever consider vanishing like this? Under what circumstances would you agree to it? It's pretty difficult to imagine going through anything like this. But also, don't forget those who are left behind, with no answer, no clue as to what was going on with the person that vanished. It's a very complicated situation for sure. The person who vanished thinks they're doing everyone a favor by leaving, but by doing that, everyone is miserable. I think the concept of shame has to evolve, and people need to understand that failing once isn't the end of the world. People hesitate to confront their fears, they hesitate to share their problems, which in turn prevents them from finding an actual solution. Of course, every problem is different, and there is rarely a simple solution to these problems. The biggest one, in my opinion, right now is that the whole topic of suicide, mental health, and johatsu is still considered very taboo. I don't really know how you can work and solve problems when you refuse to acknowledge the fact that the problem exists. Maybe one day, once the newer generation grows up, maybe things will take a turn. Sorry if this episode was a little pessimistic. I just wanted all of you to know. That you are loved, and there are people out there who are willing to help you or hear you out. You don't have to carry your deepest issues all by yourself. Tis the season, and I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Enjoy your holidays, if you celebrate them, of course. Hug your friends and family if you can, and cuddle your pets. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com.